Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome to the Midweek Bible Study, and we're back in my favorite book in the New Testament, Hebrews. Now, we left it really mid-paragraph last week, Hebrews chapter 2. We kind of did verse 2 into verse 3, but we're going to back up to verse 1 so that we can run right through the paragraph, all right? Remember, this is a, it's great news that God looks like, sounds like, and acts like Jesus because Jesus is the express image of God. So what happens then if you reject Jesus? Well, who could do such a thing? I think the more you get to know Jesus, the less likely it is going to be that you reject him, but still, he was not the, um, the expected Messiah for some folk. Oh, truly, he was the Messiah, the Son of God, but he didn't act like that big warrior king that they had been looking for. And so there were people that were just, quite frankly, disappointed in Jesus, as there have been through the centuries. We're disappointed that he doesn't do this or he did do that or whatever. We can always look at there and say, you know, if I had been God, I, and fill in the blank. I think we can, if we're sober people, if we're thoughtful people, I believe that we could sit back and realize that if any of us were God, the universe would be in a horrific state. Now, you might think it's pretty bad now with um, tsunamis and horrible disasters like politics, but I, I think we would, I think we'd mess it up a lot more. I really do. God has his thing going and his wisdom is vast. So there is a danger in turning away from God. It very much goes to like Peter whenever uh, some people left Jesus, they didn't follow him anymore. And Jesus turned to the apostles and said, are you going to leave too? Peter goes, where are we gonna go? I, I love that, I love that about Peter, but also love what he said. It's kind of like being Mrs. Noah. We don't even know her name. Stuck there on a boat with sticky walls and all the animals and just the horrid, horrid smell and toss of a, of a box really upon water. You can see her after a while saying, right, that's it. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Where are you going to go? Or those pictures I used to see in textbooks or documentaries about the American West and the push West, and especially around Nebraska, Iowa, that region where flat and there weren't many trees. And so you, you get this picture of these two rail thin, one man, one woman, standing there, lines all over their faces, shoulders slumped, standing in front of a house that was made of sod. And you look at that and go, you know something? That was a horrible life. But one thing you can say for it is the divorce rate was really low, because where are you gonna go? It's the same with Jesus. That's the question that was asked in, in Acts chapter two, when the people heard Peter's sermon, their response was, what, you know, what do we do? 
the first response, whatever they heard them, was, what does this mean? So when you find out what it means, then you know what to do. And what it meant was, according to Peter, that God had sent his representative. He had sent himself, his son, and he'd been rejected. And then people say, what do we do? That's the theme of chapter two. People have still rejected him and that that's not a smart play. All right, Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse one. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Some people fall, some people jump, some people run. The majority of people who break up with Jesus is, they do it the same way that people break up with people, drift. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The beginning of a river, it was brought to us by Jesus, this salvation. Now, the people around who heard him are, are passing it along. By the way, uh, it's another reason why we, I certainly don't think Paul wrote this book, and the vast majority of scholars, of which I am not a scholar, but the vast majority of scholars would agree and say, Paul did not write this book, is that pronoun confirmed to us by those of us who heard him. If you remember, Paul never walked with Christ on earth. He didn't listen to Jesus. He didn't get it firsthand that way. He got it firsthand somehow taught to him by angels or something, but he, this does not, this could not be him because he was not walking with Jesus. And then it says, those of us who heard him, then we told others and the Holy Spirit confirmed as he wished, giving out gifts of the Spirit. And so this continual river downstream, it's always up to us. Are we going to be part of the river and advance the story or are we going to become a stagnant pond and not advance it? That's very important for those of us that are in our Safe Harbor Church because many of you are isolated and, and there are very great limits on what you're able to do. We have a large number also who are elderly and whose ability to get out and do is minimal at best. And this has been a godsend to them because they get to hear scripture and they get to be a part of something worldwide even though they have their limitations. But we also have those that have been hurt by the church. We have those that just are in isolated places. I mean, I've got a friend who tells me, I think he said it's 75 miles to the nearest Walmart to get groceries. That's out in the American Prairie. Uh, it can be hard to have fellowship. So here you are. What do you do with this? Just advance the story. If you are pretty much bedridden or in assisted living or anything like this, you can choose as long as you've got your faculties to be kind to the caregivers, to tell them stories of Jesus, to let them know why there's a smile on your face. My mother's 91 years old. She may be the best evangelist I've ever met. And it's just because she's always smiling, always optimistic, even when I look at something she goes to and I go, how, how can you be optimistic today? She finds a way to do it. 
And then when people ask her how, she starts talking about how she spent her life going around the world for Jesus. Medical missions or mission missions or we're everywhere from Siberia to Guyana to Ghana to throughout Appalachia. And she's kept that smile going. Well, now that she's limited, mobility is limited and <clears throat> 91 is 91. Yeah, and there's not much you can do when the miles start pil piling up. Still smiling, still talking about Jesus. You see, you can still do that. Advance the story. For the last two years, uh, I and the uh, Our Safe Harbor team are trying to advance the story here to be that river of faith. Keep the story moving. Don't become a stagnant pond. I find far too many churches that are really set up for the care and benefit of their members. And so the members want this program, the members want this program, the preacher preaches these kinds of sermons to keep his people united and together, rather than finding a way to spread the story in the community. Now certainly that's not meant to be a blanket indictment. I do run across, uh, and, and I'm seeing more of this, I do run across churches that are very much involved in prisons, uh, caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan. I'm finding more and more of that, but I'm finding more of, more of it in smaller and smaller places because brick and mortar churches are really struggling and going down. It maybe their time has passed. We don't know. I kind of doubt it, but maybe. Regardless, we need to take what we were given by those who heard Christ and those who heard them and those who heard them and take the story forward. It is now back time to really look at Jesus. In fact, that's what we're gonna do in Hebrews. Verse five, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Now the, this whole idea he started in chapter one is that Jesus is higher than the angels. You and I have no problem with that at all. But the people back here still needed to figure out who Jesus was. And most of them had not seen him, certainly not read any of the Gospels. They, they weren't around for much of this. And so this is a necessary lesson for them. It is not to angels that he, God, subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and I love it when... Uh, when writers of scripture quote scripture and go, it's in there somewhere. Well, this seems to be from Psalm 144.3 and also from the book of Job um, 7.17. And then he, he skips a bit and maybe quoting Paul. Um, let's, we'll see. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Um, just a side note, many of our oldest manuscripts, instead of saying a little lower than the angels, say, you made man for a little while. Now that's a fascinating thing. I, I would tell you exactly which of those readings was right if I knew, and I would tell you exactly what the import of each of those would be if I knew, but it's interesting to sit about and think, he only made man for a little while. We're in this slot for a little while. So what are we gonna do with what we've got? 
But it could mean, and most translators do put a little lower than the angels in that we don't have their power, we don't have their um, abilities, we are limited by body and physical things, um, and we, uh, we have not their knowledge. But then again, Jesus came and gave us knowledge that they had not known. Angels long to look upon these things, as the scripture says. Now, moving forward. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, just like us. Now, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's talk. There is... um. There are two things here I want, I want to approach, and both of them can be a little difficult. By law, in reality, uh, de jure, Jesus is over everything and everything is subject to him. And yet, when we look at the universe and our personal universe, our neighborhood, our school, our place of employment, maybe even uh, a church or a house church, we see things that are not subject to him. Well, by law, de jure, they are. But de facto, they are not yet. But they will be. Because Jesus can take them whenever he wants to. They are his. And he might let you do as you will with them. But they're his. And he will take them back. We, uh, we go to a lot of grandson ball games Because all three grandsons that live here are highly active in sports and they seem to be active in most of them and and it's a privilege we love it that's not a complaint uh, last night we went to um, a, a game and those bleachers are getting harder and harder I think I think it was easier to sit on bleachers when I hadn't lost 50 pounds and so I was thinking I'm gonna have to get some padding here so I pulled off my jacket and kind of folded it up and sat on it now that jacket was given to me as a gift. And it's a jacket that can handle being sat on, don't worry. But if the person who owned the jacket had loaned it to me, I started thinking of this, saying, here, are you cold? Wear this jacket. And then later on saw me having it wadded up sitting on it. They might not like that. By jure, that's their jacket. But de facto right now, I'm having my way with it but they can come at any time and take it back. It is subject to them. Jesus can at any moment in any place or time establish order and take what is his. The second thing, he got the glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. A huge theme of the book of Hebrews is how Jesus was the high priest who ended the need for high priest because he sorted out the two big things that were keeping us from, from God. God had already reached across the divide, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He'd already shown us that he loved us and he wanted to be in a deep and, and grace-filled relationship with us. But we still had issues of sin that we could not undo as one of the uh, February, let's see, that's gonna be on February 20th, so it's not up yet. A Monday morning message is 
entitled whatever you know who told you about what happened to patrick and to you and it's about how we've changed over the years and how our, our outlook on things have changed over the years we we have are unable however to go back and fix the mistakes we made we can repent and we should and we, we can apologize and make right as much as we can. You know, you think of Alcoholics Anonymous, they have this, you, know, you need to make amends as best you can. Yeah, we can do some of that, but some hurts cannot be taken back and some words cannot be taken back and some impressions cannot be taken back. We needed a savior because none of us by our own effort are able to save ourselves. So Jesus died for us and he was our propitiation, is the old King James word, which is a fantastic word. It means he was the one who stepped in and, and did all of the payment and balanced the books and made things good again. That's what Jesus was. But that's not the only thing that happened on the cross. In Hebrews, you'll get both of these. In some passages in scripture, you'll get more of one than the other. But the other thing he did was he killed death. He is now reigning over death because death has always been our issue. Time has always been our issue. You know, we, here comes a, a performer in town. They're going to be in, night for, uh, in town for one night only. We're unable to see them. It feels like we have lost something. We will never have this again. Time. If I don't go see them now, I'll never see them. If I don't marry this person, I'll never get married. If I don't have this car, I'll never have... It is... Oh boy, you know, the sales come on and say, if you get these clothes and use this shampoo, uh, quite frankly, the men just can't resist you. Or the women, whatever. Um, and, and the march of time makes us fearful and we start buying and we start being afraid of this disease, that disease or whatever. Jesus removes the fear. The world is working 24 seven to get the fear in your eyes and head so much that you can't see straight because then you belong to the world. You belong to the last person to yell. But if you belong to Jesus, perfect love cast out fear. Jesus took away the sting of death. I'm not afraid of death at all, period, full stop. Dying, I'm concerned about. I don't want to, you know, the process, I don't want it to take long. I want to be here, gone. And he's gonna know who he is. Um, on Facebook, one of my friends put up there that he wants to serve God all of his life and die while serving God. He said it's his dream that when he's baptizing somebody, he says in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he baptizes him, that he dies right there doing that. I'm going, not me, because that would so freak out the new convert. And if they had family there, it's kind of like, okay, is that a sign from God? He just killed the preacher. I've heard before preachers saying, I hope that I die in a pulpit. Not me at all, because that scared the kids. And when I was a little boy, I actually can remember this. There's so much about my growing up I don't remember. And there are probably complex and deep, dark reasons for that. But I can remember being about five years old and being scared by the preacher. He was yell yelling, he was frothing, he was sweating, pointing. And in my head, I heard, when I grow up, if I preach, I don't wanna scare little kids. Well, 
I didn't want to be a preacher. God had other plans and he has kept me working somehow or the other, pastoring or leading. But um, I always remember that. I don't want to scare little kids. We don't need the fear. We are, we're saved. Get over it. Enjoy it. In bringing many sons to, to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the ones who make men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and the one who are made holy, humans, are the same family. You are the family of God. Now, I believe that Jesus is God with all rights and privileges pertaining thereunto. But sometimes when we say, I'm a friend of Jesus, we look upon that as a safer option than saying, I'm a friend of Yahweh. But they're, they're the same family and God and Jesus are never in conflict. The Holy Spirit is never in disagreement with them. All three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are called God repeatedly in scripture. <clears throat> and the attributes of one of them is, those attributes are also assigned to the others. It's, it's fascinating. It doesn't bother me, uh, the Trinity, by the way, at all, three and one, one and three, uh, being absolutely one and yet three, does not bother me because I know enough quantum physics to understand that that works in this universe too. And they are so far beyond any quantum physics we've figured out so far or ever will. But I love this. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists. That word exist um, is probably the best translation, but it also has other meanings that are wrapped around it. Not as secondary or third meanings, but this is a, a gestalt. It's a word that has a whole thing in there. Exist, consist, and hold together. We, we know there's not enough gravity in the universe to uh, account for what we see. We don't see much. We've talked about dark matter and dark energy before here, also in sermons and also on Monday morning messages. But when you cannot find well over 95% of the universe, but you can tell it's out there because of its effect upon the 5% we can see, and, and of course these, you can bump these one or two percentage points either way. Then we have to ask what's holding it together. And as our, we have an inflationary universe and as it, it expands and the waves at the edges of it are rippling and creating even more things, uh, adjusting new things, it's, it's, I'll stop. Here's what I'm trying to say. God is the only thing we've got in our entire bucket of ideas that could hold these atoms, subatomic particles, all the way up to the largest stars and the largest nebula together and keeps it going. There's no other explanation for it. If there were, I would tell you because it would only be fair to say, hey, you're off the hook, go do what you wanna do. But there no, there's no other explanation. So Jesus, since we are the same family, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them 
brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Psalm 22, 22. The book of Hebrews is laced throughout with Old Testament quotations and for good reasons. He's speaking to the Hebrews, the people who know these scriptures. But what is the point about standing up and declaring this? If you remember, there was a time where Jesus was teaching and his people would come to take control of him because his family, at least his brothers, seemed to have been very embarrassed by what Jesus was doing. So someone came to them and they said, your mother and your brothers are at the door. And he turned and looked at his friends that he was teaching and he said, these are my mother, these are my brothers. And by the way, that's a, a, a relic of, of language. So ladies, he is absolutely meaning and sisters. And the, the NIV tries hard to use the inclusive language when the language allows it. But whenever you're quoting back from Hebrew, it just makes it so be aware it means humans. And he stands up and he declares this in the middle of the congregation. This is my family. This is who we are. This is, um, you ever thought of that? Jesus has no problem standing in the congregation of heavens among the angels and the uh, archangel and the cherubim and seraphim um, and looking at you and saying, that's my sister, that's my brother. No, nothing in here like I, I get a lot of. People will write me and say, we really, really like what you're saying. We don't agree about everything. They've always got to throw that in and I do it too. You know, I'll, I'll quote something from Pete Enns or I'll quote something from Gregory Boyd and I'll catch myself saying, now we don't always agree. I don't know why we do that. Jesus doesn't do it here. He doesn't say, now they're a mess and don't even get me started on what they do when no one's looking, but they're family. <laughs> no, he's proud of it. And he asked us to do the same thing right back. He said, if you confess me on earth, I'll confess you before the father deal. I'll take that deal. Again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. All of these are coming from the Old Testament for a reason. Of course, back then it was just the scriptures. We didn't have old and new when this was written. It's coming there to show the Jewish believers this truly was the anointed one of God, the Messiah, that was been promised to you all of the, all through these scriptures. And so he's bringing them and showing them how Jesus fulfilled them in his life and in his teaching. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Again, Christus Rex, defeating death. That's why a cross is involved. Forgiving sins, yes, that's there too. But there's gonna be an emphasis here on defeating death. And then he gets into the forgiving sins. He destroys him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's everybody you know. Everybody here is terrified by the clock, unless Jesus gets a hold of them and then they're not so terrified. 
for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. In other words, don't try to say that Jesus is just a great angel of God, one of the messengers of God, such as almost every New Age writing on Jesus is. You know, he was one of the sons of God, but God also sent Buddha, he also sent Zoroaster, he also sent Allah, and, and they'll say, well, he was, he was a great teacher, but he was one of the great divine teachers, that, the avatars that visited us. And don't think about blue people riding dragons in the sky when I say avatar. Avatar um, is also that little picture of you and that's beside your Twitter handle, or like they call that an avatar. An avatar is the appearance of something it represents in an area. So they would say Jesus is one of God's avatars on earth. Now you don't, you don't get that option. Jesus is the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made, third time as has been said, like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he make, may make atonement for all his people. Because, <clears throat> and I, I, I need to correct a quotation. I just said all his people, and that's not what the Bible says. It says, might make atonement for the sins of the people, not just his people. Because you remember, while de facto, there are a lot of people out there that don't look like they belong to Jesus. De jure, they do. And he made atonement for their sins. Pay attention to some of the sermons in February. Pay attention to the Monday morning messages back in, um, especially in January. Start the middle of the month if you don't have any time. Um, you can read the Bible very easily and see that God intends to save everybody. You can also read it and make it, it, it looks like he's gonna burn most people. So we got, we're gonna talk about how we read the Bible and why we read it the way we do. But here, once again, he's saying he's made atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is how we're gonna close out today. We're gonna talk about that. I ran a counseling practice for eight years. I'm not a counselor. I just had the degrees that allowed me to do the sign-offs and nobody else is there to do it. So I, if you email me counseling questions, most of the time I'm gonna to try to help you find somebody near you because it would be gross malpractice for me to act like I could fix you via email, all right? And, and I'm sorry, but that, it's a reality. And counseling is a good thing. You find a good counselor, it's a good thing. Here we go. When I'd have somebody and we got them through their struggles with anxiety or depression or suicidal or revenge fantasies, I would then ask them to become a colleague, to go from patient to colleague, so that when the next person comes with these struggles, would you come in and sit with them while we talk? Would you, under controlled situations, by the way, it's not like we're sending this guy over to this young woman's house because he got past depression, I'll help you with her. No, we had lots, we had lots of guardrails. But sometimes a person will only listen to you if you've been there. If you have 
gone through the war, if you've been divorced, if you've been kicked out of a church, if you've had a child die of cancer, you, you need to find somebody who's been there. And the writer of Hebrews says, that's why we can trust him because he's been here and he knows what it's like. And he's, that's why he's merciful and faithful. Merciful, yay, faithful. What does that mean? It means he doesn't give up on us. If God's not gonna give up on you, don't give up on him. We'll talk again next week. God bless. Support us if you can. Send us an email at info at rsafeharbor.com if you have a question, a prayer need, whatever we can do for you. God bless. Cheers.